Hey, good evening, everyone. We're continuing the Talmud series, and uh, I give you a brief reminder about last week's lecture. Uh, we finished the lecture with Chilul uh, Hashem. If uh, if a Jew disgraced the name of 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 Hashem with his behaving, with his actions. Uh, even if he's an important rabbi, and you know about something not correct that he's doing, because people are people, and people have evil inclination, no matter what, no matter what their level is, they always have desires and they make mistakes. So if you know this person has bad habits by damaging the public, taking advantage on them, doing, making all kinds of crimes, not being honest, and many other examples like this, then it's your obligation to reveal him to the world. That when other Jews come and pay the price later, it's all going to be your responsibility. You know, so some, one, every once in a while you hear about somebody religious, religious, that was molesting children for X amount of years, and there are many people who knew about it, and they try to cover it, in the community, and that's a very big mistake. And sometimes even important rabbis fall into this mistake because everyone is worried about the embarrassment the community will have when they have one rotten apple. Because the, the way the, the public is, if you have a community with 100,000 people, it's enough that 20 of them are rotten and makes bad reputation to the entire community. You understand? So it's true, but it's much better much better to deal with this embarrassment than to destroy the life of these children and eventually anyway it will come out. Because the way of the truth is always to come out. The truth can never stay hidden. Uh, remember, everything that happens that is not kosher is just a matter of time until it will come up to the world. It can be five years, it can be 50 years. It will come out. It will come out. And the more you wait, the more painful it's going to get. Plus, there are very too many people who pay the price, these innocent people. And this is called In a place where, this, uh, where the name of Hashem is described by someone, there is no respect to the rabbi or to the Torah that he knows. You must tell it to the people, be careful, this person is not kosher. And, of course, there's ways to do it. You don't put an ad in a newspaper or go to the media, to the television. You have to go to top rabbi's authority. They have to invite him. They give him a warning. You review the case. There's ways to handle it in a respectable way. Sometimes it's an addiction. Sometimes it's an addiction, which means we all have addictions. We only, we only look bad at people who have addictions to drugs or to gambling or to alcohol, but there's different kinds of addictions. Addictions can be a person who cannot get out of bed every day, it's 12 o'clock, he's still in bed. No matter what time he sleep, even sleep at 10 o'clock last night, 12 o'clock the next day after 14 hours, he's still snoring. Of course, someone like this can never be a husband, can never have, be a father, cannot run a family, cannot work in any job, you know? And what do you think? If he's a multimillionaire and he doesn't need to work, his parents left him a lot of money or he made a lot of money, you think it's good lifestyle to be late at night and to wake up in the middle of the day? There's no blessing in your life. No matter what you are, a Jew, non-Jew, religious Jew, non-religious Jew,
people who start their day early and they are serious, they have schedules, they, they are organized, they're responsible, they have more blessing in everything they touch in their life. Business, marriage, children, raising children, no depression. People who have no discipline, they don't have routine schedule that they match the, the time. You're gonna see that any kind of depression that exists comes to them. Why? Because Hashem, God doesn't love this kind of people. He's not an animal. Even the animals, they work with much discipline. They work very hard. You saw the ant, how much the ant collects? The ant collects, the, end, the average ant lives six months and needs one and a half pieces of wheat to live. One and a half pieces. You know, take a cookie, click two crumbs out. This is how much the ant needs to live the entire life. Did you ever see an ant that stopped collecting and working hard and making piles and taking? Never. What's going on here? This is what King Solomon wrote. Go to the end and check ethics, how to work. Learn. Every animal can teach us something. Some animals can teach modesty, loyalty, all kinds of things. We don't need the animals to teach us because we, the Jewish nation, receive the book of God. We are different. Even the Gentiles, they learn a lot from our book. Without our book, they would not have any civilization. Everything that they do in their courts, in their religions or cults, many of it comes from the Torah. Everything positive you find in 80,000 religions and cults, I'll show you that it's in the Torah. The rest is nonsense. People made up all kinds of nonsense. You know? But everything positive that they have, I promise you, I'm committing. You show me any religion you want, any cult, everything that they have which is positive, uh, you come to me, I'll show you the source in the Torah. The world changed when the Jews got the Torah. The whole world was shaking. And this is where we ended up last week. The Gemara says, when Hashem say, do not carry the name of your God for nothing, don't swear in a false testimony in the name of God, the whole world was, the whole world was rocking and shaking. This is where we ended up last week. Uh, today we continue... The Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, what is it that it says in Psalms, in, in the book of Psalms, chapter 122? Our legs were standing in the gate of Jerusalem. Who is talking? King David wrote it, but who? Who is he talking about? What? The Gemara says, What is the cause? that our legs had to stand in the gate of Jerusalem in a war. You know, what is it? Sha'arei Yerushalayim, the gate of Jerusalem. Shira Ma'alot, Sha'ayu Oskim Torah. They would learn Torah. And Rabbi Yoshua says, what is it that it also says, Le'david, Samachti Be'omrim Li, Bet Hashem Nelech. King David wrote, Hashem, you know that I'm happy when the Jewish nation say, we'll go to the house of God. What's the connection? Of course he's, he's going to be happy. What king is not happy when his nation wants to go to the house of God to serve Hashem? It's very good, no? So every commander is happy when his soldiers do the right thing. Every father is happy when his children do the right thing. Every king is happy that his nation is doing the right thing. You know, so what is the chidush? What's, what's new about it? The answer is 
ריבונו של עולם, God, you know that the people say when this old king will die already, that his son Solomon will be the king instead of him, and he will build the temple of God, that we can finally go and sacrifice in front of our God, as the Torah says. So he says, I'm not taking it personally. I know why they want me to die. He was 70 years old. And he died, seven years old. I, I, they want me to die not because they have anything against me, because they're righteous. They want my son. They know that Samuel the prophet says that I cannot build a temple. My son will build a temple. So they know as long as I'm alive, there will not be a temple in Jerusalem. So they want me to die for one reason. They want finally to have the house of God in Jerusalem. So, I, so I'm happy. Today, if a king would know about it, it will kill all of them like Gaddafi and Assad and all this, whatever their name are. They care, the truth, not the truth. Oh, it's against me? I don't care. I'll die and I kill all of you with me. Why? Ego, craziness. But he was a righteous king, you know? So he says, Hashem says to him, it's better for me one day that you learn Torah than 1,000 sacrifices that your son Solomon will bring to me in the temple in Jerusalem. 1,000 sacrifices. I once did the calculation. It could be $5,000 per cow. That's, when it, that's how much. Multiply by 1,000, talking millions of dollars here. Millions of dollars that your son will burn for the sake of heaven uh, will not be equal to one day you sit and learn Torah. This is it. Then the Gemara continue. We are in Masechet Makot. What does it mean, makot? Makot means whip, whipping somebody with a whip. It's not only in Singapore that you make graffiti in the streets so the king sends some cop to hit you in front of everyone. Where they got this idea of hitting the wicked people with a whip? From the Torah. The Torah in the Jewish court, they used to warn the wicked people before they get a much bigger punishment that they whip them in front of everyone. So the, the embarrassment would make these this sinners change right away, because nobody wants an embarrassment in public. This is a very effective punishment. You understand? So it says like this. Every person who made a sin, one of the 30 sins in the Torah, that the Torah said that the punishment is that the soul is getting cut out of life of eternity, which means when a person dies, no share to the world to come because of that specific sin, such as not keeping Shabbos, and many and eating chametz and Pesach. There's, there's a list of or worshiping an idol, any kind of an idol. So once they got whipped by the Jewish court, they gave them a punishment in this world. Nifteru mikritutam. It's the greatest thing could happen to them. What's better, to die and to lose your eternity with all the greatness that God promised the Jewish people after they leave this world, or to get few patches with a whip? What's better? But embarrassment, everyone speak about. You, see, you heard what happened to Mr. X? Yesterday they gave him uh, 39 times on his back with a whip for that scene, you know. So yeah, one week, two weeks, then everyone forget about it. And then what? You have a share to the world to come. But it's, it's, you know, it's a way for the Beidin to actually benefit you. By whipping you like this, we're giving you back the ticket that you lost. This is what the Gemara says. And the Torah says, Nikla means 
It was, uh, it was not only embarrassed, Nikla comes from the word Malkot, but it's, it's a way that when you whip a person in a very uh, embarrassing way. I'll give you an example. The Gemara says, if you come to a respectable person and slap him on his cheek, in front of everyone, then he take you to court, you have to pay him for the embarrassment you caused him. The higher his level is, the more you're going to pay. If it's the president, you're going to pay him a lot more. If he's a homeless, what embarrassment exactly he had? All day he gets smacked by people on the street. So he got another one, so you give him $200 and you, and you send him home. But if he's the prime minister in front of the whole world, you came and gave him a slap, you're going to have to pay a lot according to his level. Because embarrassment is depend who you hit. But what happened? When are you going to pay more? When you hit him like this, or when you hit him like this? What do you think? Well, what's the connection? Smack is a smack. Like this is like a dog. It's embarrassing. Here it's anger. Here it's like with anger. Like this, it's much more embarrassing. Maybe today, I don't know if it's still the same. Not an expert on hitting people, but like this is much worse because it's more embarrassing. So the Gemara says, "Kevan shelaka areu keachicha." In the same verse, it says, "Brother, achicha also nikle." Because he got whip with the whip, he is returned back to the status of your brother. Every time the Torah say, do not do this to your brother, do not charge interest from your Jewish brother, you should love your brother like you love yourself. All this expression, brother, achicha, reecha, right? Vechai achicha, imach. Every time the Torah use the word achicha, it doesn't mean literally your biological brother, which means every Jew, all the Jews are brothers and sisters. But how come the verse talk about someone who has no share to the world to come in the language of achicha? That's not achicha anymore. Because I give you an example. I said in many times in the past that someone who's not keeping Shabbat is 100% like a goy in the eyes of God. So like a non-Jew. He's a Jew that is actually much worse than a Gentile because a Gentile doesn't have to keep Shabbat. It's not a sin for him. He can do whatever he wants. Once you're a Jew and you violate the rule of Hashem, then you are in a much worse position than this guy, because this guy is not, didn't, didn't do anything wrong. He's allowed to drive, allowed to smoke, allowed to do whatever he wants on Shabbat. Nobody ever told him, observe the Sabbath. But you must do it, and you don't do it, you are a sinner. But what kind of sinner? A sinner that excludes yourself from the Jewish nation. So you have no share to the world to come. So the Torah cannot phrase to call you a brother of another Jew, because you cannot be his brother, because you're like a goy. You're out of the Jewish nation, even temporarily. It could be for, for one week. It can be for one month. It can be for 10 years. It can be for 40 years, depending on how many years you, you're not keeping Shabbat. From here, because in the same verse he said that he get whipped in the court, and the Torah still call him achicha, the oral Torah says, why is he called achicha? After he got whipped, he returned to become your brother, which means the ticket that he has to the share to, to the world to come that God gave every Jew, returned back to his status. It's not dismissed anymore. You understand what's going on here? So uh, from here, we can learn a lot of things. Any kind of suffering help you to return. 
all kinds of suffering. If you have suffering, that means Hashem did not give up on you. If you don't have suffering, you begin to cry. That means you're a lost case. So the Gemara says, what happens if you make one sin, which is chas v'shalom, death penalty? Is one sin is enough to make him lose everything? The answer is yes. The Gemara say like this, if a Jew can lose everything by doing one bad sin, one bad sin, it's needless to say when he makes a good deed, when he makes a mitzvah, which is always better than sins in the eyes of God. How much is the reward for every mitzvah? Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, the president of Israel 2,000 years ago, this is what he says. Rak chazak levilti achol adam, ki adam hu anafesh. Hashem said to the Jewish people, be very careful not to eat the blood of the animals. You know, a Jew in China, they can eat whatever they want. They can take the worms, the roaches, whatever. It's an appetite for them. They eat, they buy it in a barrel. And they eat it. It's not a sin for them. For us, it looks disgusting. But for them, it's an appetizer. Is a Chinese person who ate these worms made a sin? No. If a Jew just licked this, the, the, the worm, or any bug, or anything like this, horrible sin. Very serious sin. Now listen what the Torah says. Be very careful and very strong not to eat the blood of the animal. Do you know any Jew in the world that likes to eat the blood of the animal? I never met one. I met the most, the biggest sinners on earth of the Jewish nation. I met them one-on-one -on -one once in a while. I never met one that liked to drink the blood of the animal for breakfast with his cornflakes. I didn't meet one like this. I never saw. Do you know anyone who likes to eat blood? Take worms in a mixer and drink their blood. Did you ever see somebody like this? Maybe there is, I don't know. So the Torah says like this. If a desire that nobody has, no normal Jew would dare to, to eat the blood of any animal, forget worms, the, the deer, the cow, the sheep, whatever it is, the blood, nobody wants to eat blood. Nobody goes to the restaurant and say, put some blood on my salad, you know? If there is no desire to eat blood, and the Torah say, I'm going to give you a huge reward for you and your children after you for not eating the blood of the animal, when something has strong desire and the Jew doesn't do it, the reward is a million times greater. You understand the concept? If you bring me a soup with the blood of some animal, even from the sheep or whatever, and you tell me eat it, it's healthy, eat it, I can eat it. Now, if I don't eat it, I'm going to get a huge reward. Do I deserve a reward? What reward I deserve? Nobody wants to eat it. Even the secular Jew won't eat it. So why do I deserve a reward? But the Torah says, that I'm going to benefit you and your children after you for not eating this blood. So the Gemara comes and say, Blood that a person is disgusted from. Someone who doesn't touch it gets a huge reward. Stealing and sex crimes that a person loves so much to do. Stealing, wow, I just made a thousand dollars. The customer turned around. 
I took it from his bag. Wow, easy. It's like finding the money on the street. Doesn't understand that Hashem is going to punish him. He thinks, I got away with $1,000. So you feel it's very sweet. This is special to me, this $1,000. I didn't have to sweat for it. I forged someone's signature, and here I have. I got the money. I fooled the government. Insurance fraud. All kinds of nonsense. And it's very sweet. Also, all kinds of scenes with the ladies. Why everyone run after that? Why is a multi-billion dollar industry? Everyone like crazy about it. Why? Because it's a strong desire. So the Gemara says, it's needless to say how huge the reward is going to be for not doing it. When you want to do it, when you don't want to do it, you get a reward. When you want to do it, of course, you're going to get a much bigger reward. And only a fool doesn't understand it. You don't need Gemara for it. He didn't understand it without the Gemara. If I told you, you get a huge reward for not eating blood. All you need is an IQ of a, a little puppet, you know, to know that it's, oh, in that case, I'm going to get a huge, a huge thing. Okay, so the Gemara says, the Gemara says, oh, but the reward for him of not doing this stealing and all this desire uh, sins is for him and the generation after him until the end of time. This is the words of the Gemara. Ad sof kol adorot until the end of all generations. The Gemara says, Rabban Gamliel, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, Rabbi Yoshua, and Rabbi Akiva. Two of them were the president of Israel, and the other two are the biggest chachamim. Rabbi Akiva is the greatest Jew ever lived in history. He's considered the top ever lived, which means, could be that he's the most important person ever lived in this world, Rabbi Akiva. It's not, uh, you may say, Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Hashem. He gave him everything ready. Rabbi Akiva reached it with his own effort. It's a much bigger thing. Plus, he's a Baal Tshuva, and both of them were big, righteous people. But someone who is making repentance is automatically in a higher level of someone who was born religious. Because he was in the garbage, and he digged himself out. Not somebody who was born in a palace, everything was hand to him, and someone who came from being a homeless to become a prince, they don't deserve the same reward, right? But I'm just giving you an example. So the four Chachamim walking on the way, and they hear the army of Aram. Aram is Syria. Maybe they heard the demonstration in Syria already 2,000 years ago. 120 mil, it's far away, kilometers away. They started to cry when well, they saw that they're on the way to Jerusalem. They knew where they're coming. Why they're coming to Israel from Syria, from this area? Because they come to, the Goim come to destroy the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. So everyone started to cry, and Rabbi Akiva started to laugh. Three of rabbis, the temple is destroyed, and Rabbi Akiva is laughing. Sounds weird, no? He told, they told him, why are you laughing? So he said, why are you crying? He said, all these idols worshippers, the most despicable of all Gentiles, because in the Gentiles there are different levels. All Gentiles, they are rated different. Not all the goyim are the same. The worst Gentiles are the ones who worship idols. They make all kinds of statues and worshiping these statues. They are the worst in the eyes of God. 
Arabs, for instance, they are not worshipping any idol. The opposite, if, uh, if an Arab who worship an idol, they kill him right away. It's a very big thing. They understand there's one God and that's it. So they're not in a bad, in a bad level like the idols worshippers. You understand? You have to know. It's not everyone equal and that's it. No. So, so, so they say to Rabbi Akiva, not only Gentiles are destroying the temple. The ones who bow down to their idols, they are the ones who occupy Jerusalem and we're not going to cry. The, the house of our God is going on fire. So he said to them, this is exactly why I'm laughing. No, how, what what's, what's makes sense here? He say, if the most despicable Gentiles on earth, they are winning the war and occupy the most important place in the world, and they laughing, and they drinking lechaim, and they dancing, and they are one second before Hashem will bring them to eternal torture. If to these wicked people Hashem gives good, imagine how much he's going to give us for listening to him all our life. That's why I'm happy. If I see this sinner making billions, the biggest thief, the biggest Mechalel Shabbat, the worst crook, the nastiest person making billions, I have to dance. Why? Hashem is the God of justice. If he gives this despicable Jew such a reward, how can I not dance? I know my reward is a billion times greater than him. He just posted a check. It will come. You understand how they look at the situation and how he's looking at the situation? They both see the same scenario. Then, and another time, they go on the way to Jerusalem, they came to Harat Tzofim. Just when you go to Jerusalem, you see the mountain. Tzofim means watchers, people who can watch. This is where people stood to watch if the enemies are coming, you know? They have magnified glass, binoculars like this. Oh, the army is on the way, so they pass the message and the soldiers are getting ready for the war. When they came to Harat Sofim, they started to rip their clothes. When they came to the Temple Mount, that's where the Western Wall is, they, they saw a fox, not a fox news reporter, a real fox, is coming out of the temple. That, were, that was 700 years before the Arabs built their mosque over there. It was still the destruction of the temple with fire, with flame, with smoke. So they saw a fox, like a dog, coming out. So they saw the fox, they started to cry. And Rabbi Akiva started to laugh. They say, again, you and your laughs? What makes you so happy every time? He said, I don't understand why you're crying. He say, the Torah said that if a Jew that is not a Kohen, but is the most righteous Jew in the world, the most righteous Jew in the world, somebody like him, Rabbi Akiva, is not a Kohen, will enter the temple to the area is not allowed, he should be put to death. The most important Jew in the world. You enter the holy temple, you're not authorized to go there, you're not a Kohen, should be put to death. And now foxes walking in the holiest place in the world and we're not gonna cry? Look, like a dog. Imagine you come to the synagogue, you open the Aron Kodesh, and a filthy dog is coming out of there. How are you not gonna cry? Just break your heart. Wow, this is what happened from our synagogue? They cry, they get emotional. So they told him, 
This is why we're crying. So he said, this is exactly why I'm, why I'm laughing. Hashem told Uriah Cohen and Zechariah ben Yevarchayahu, which is very holy people. Uriah was in the first temple. Zechariah was in the second temple. And Hashem said to the prophecy to Zechariah, the prophet, Zechariah is Zachary in English. Zachary 14 is the most critical prophecy perhaps in the Tanakh. That describes the end of the world, how the world will be in the last moments, how the world will come to an end. Horrible war, billions of people will die. This is Zachary 14. The same Zechariah gave a prophecy about the temple, and the other one was Uriah. The first temple to the second temple, we're talking hundreds of years. You know, it's 400, 490 years later. The first temple was destroyed. There was 70 years break. And the second temple started for 420 years and was destroyed. So from the destruction, first destruction to the second destruction, 490 years, almost 500 years. Two different prophets, two different prophecy. But one depend on the other, Rabbi Akiva said to them. What's, what's the prophecy? It says like this. It says, It's appeared in the book of Micha. Micha is one of the prophets. Micha, chapter 3. Because of your sins, Zion, which is Jerusalem, will be plowed to the ground. Which means there will not be any building. Everything will be dust because of our sins. Yerushalayim in levamot yar. Hashem said to the prophet, "My children will sin, and they will make my temple into a forest that animals are coming out of there." And this is what we saw right now. We saw the fox coming out of the temple. So that's the first prophecy. It was given to Uriah. In the first, hundreds of years ago, and Zechariah, which came later, Hashem told him, it's in Zachary 8, Od yeshvu zkenim vezkenot birchovot Yerushalayim. Don't worry. In the end, you know how they say in the movies, the, the end, the happy end, the last two minutes, every, everyone was crying for two hours. You know in a Turkish movie, two hours you cry, you cry, the last two minutes, everyone laughs. <laughs> they designed it like this, you know, like masochistic filmmakers. The entire movie or the soap operas, they have 500 chapters, constantly you suffer. The last chapter, everything becomes good. <laughs> so what? to enjoy one hour, you suffer 500 hours? What kind of uh, pleasure is that? So over here, this is it. This is how it's going to be. Older people, and male and female, will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, which means he already told the prophet that the Jews will return to Jerusalem after they were kicked to the exile. And he said like this, the only way the second prophecy can come through is only after the first prophecy will happen. If one didn't happen, the other one also wouldn't happen. One depends on the other. Since we just saw the first prophecy happen, I'm very happy that I know the end. That's why I'm laughing. You understand? So now when I saw it, I'm not worried anymore. I know the second prophecy for sure will be, and our children will return back to Yerushalayim, and this is exactly what happened. 
Then the Gemara continues, Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. All the mitzvot that the Jewish nation are doing in this world, right? They come to testify against us in our trial. A person died, 70 years old. He comes to Shamaim. They begin to show him the life, of, the story of his life, how he, how he was born, what school he went to. Every second of his life is being reviewed. One, two, three, millions of scenarios. And then one angel after the other is starting to come to testify against him. And also for him, the pen. Good angels, bad angels. Where these angels come from? This is how it is. The angel come and say, I am the angel who was created from the scene of this person in this date, in that time, in this place, coming to testify against the scene that he made who created me. What is it? And they show the film, and that's one, and another one, and another one, and some people, it's never going to end. Billions will come. One, and another, say, oh, enough, how many? I didn't know there's so many angels. You created all of them. Each one has one job, to testify about one sin. Also about the good things. The good mitzvot create good angels. So the Gemara says, Every mitzvah that a Jew is doing in this world come to testify for him to the world to come. In the future, HaKadosh Baruch Hu bring a Sefer Torah and put it in his arm. This is an analogy, parable. And say like this, announce, make an announcement. Call me she'asak b'torah yavo ve'itol s'charo. Every Jew who sat and learned Torah, now is the time to come and receive your reward. Right away, many of the Gentiles are coming. We, we learn Torah. Hashem say, you learn Torah? What Torah you learn? You didn't have Torah. So of course we learn Torah. Why? It says like this, Hashem, oh, they're all coming together. All different kinds of Gentiles mix. Mix, all of them running. Hashem said, please separate. Persians, Persians. Arabic, Arabic. This, that, this. Okay. So, Hashem say every nation separately. No, fine. And Hashem says like this. The, the descendants of Romy, Maybe it's the Italians. It says like this, when did you learn Torah? They say, Hashem, when we occupied Israel, we made sauna, public showers, we make all kinds of gates with gold and silver and beautiful stages and beautiful streets. We made Israel very beautiful, it's true. Israel was primitive, came the Romans, they had a lot of money, and they like beauty, they have good architect. In Israel, you go to Caesarea, you see all the beautiful buildings that they built with all these flowers, all this special art. You, the archaeologists found in Israel many of the temples that they built in Israel. Beautiful buildings, very, very complicated architecture, you know? So they're not lying. So they come, they say to Hashem, we build all this, and the Jews were able to learn Torah thanks to this. You know, we made the place much better. Everything we did, we did for the Jews. <laughs> it sounds like a joke. 
השם say, שוטים שבעולם, you bunch of fools, everything you did, you did for yourself. You made markets to put your prostitute there to get clients to make people make scenes. That's what you did it for. You made sauna and public pools and showers to enjoy your body for yourself. You did it for them. They had to pay, but you did it for yourself. The gold and the silver, I am the owner of it. It's not yours. שנאמר כי לי הכסף ולי הזהב, I am the master of the silver and the gold, נאום השם צבאות, the speech of השם. Why did השם did not tell them you bunch of liars? He didn't tell them liars, he told them you bunch of fools. Why? Who knows why? They made it, everything for themselves. Everybody knows. They didn't do it. They came. They destroyed the Jews. They killed them. They took a pregnant woman on the street. They take a sword. They open her stomach and take the baby like this in the middle of the street. They kill people like the Nazis. Exactly like the Nazis and probably even worse. So, so what, what, first of all, how they have the nerve to come and say, we learn Torah. Thanks to us, the Jews learn Torah. We make roads. They're able to go to the yeshiva. How is going to go with this donkey before we made the road straight? This is what they say. So Hashem doesn't say to them, you liars. He say, you fools. Who, who understands what's the secret here? He should have told them, you bunch of liars. You have the nerve to come and lie in my courtroom? How do you lie like this? But Hashem didn't say that they're lying. The answer is... When a guy does something for himself and a Jew benefits from it, if he comes and says, whatever I did, the Jew enjoy from it, it's not really a lie. What changed the status of the action is what he had in his mind when he built it. If he built it for his own stomach, for his own sins, for his own pleasure, even the Jew enjoy from it, he gets no reward for it, zero. If he did it for the Jew, Everything the Jews do, he has a share in it. You understand? You understand what's happening here or no? So, same thing. Sometimes Gentiles send money, donations to make CDs for the Jews to become religious. But I know there are two different kinds of Gentiles who send these checks. One kind and another kind. Some of them send it only for their own benefits. They're very smart goyim, and they know Every dollar I send this rabbi, he makes his lectures on it, 10, 15 lectures on a CD, and a Jew become religious. Every mitzvah he keeps to God, I benefit from it. Me, Chris, Chris Smith from Oklahoma City. No Jews there. I send it. This Yosef, the Jew, will start keeping Shabbat. Hashem gives him a huge reward. I benefit. He puts tefillin, I benefits. He eats kosher, I benefits. He gets married and keep a tarat mishpacha with his wife, I benefits. Very good investment. That's bad. Yeah, he get his reward for what he did. But he, he could have got a lot more. If he did it for the sake of the Jew, now his reward is much, much bigger. Don't need to say, oh, it's a great investment, I'm gonna make a lot of profit. Of course you will. But if you did it because you really wanted the children of Hashem to return to their father, oh, wow, there's no end to your reward. 
It's much, much bigger. The same thing here. Yeah, they made everything, but for themselves. Nothing for the nation of Israel. That's why Hashem said to them, you bunch of fools. For the same amount of investment that you did, if you just had the right intention, I would have nothing to answer you. I would have to give you the reward of my nation Israel for all the Torah they learned. But since you did it for yourself, you get nothing. And he throw them you nowhere. You understand? We have to learn from it. We, if by them Hashem was willing to give them, imagine what's going to be with us when we do the right thing. So it says like this. They go out very disappointed. Then Romi, the descendants of Romi goes out. Who comes? The descendants of Persia, the Persians. Yeah, so they come and they say, we learn Torah. Hashem said, what exactly you did? They said, we built bridges. We made city. We developed the land. We made a lot of wars. <laughs> we made a lot of wars. And everything we did that the Jews will be able to sit with a peace of mind to learn Torah. And Hashem gives them the same answer, you bunch of fools. Everything you did, you did for yourself. You made bridges to take toll. <laughs> you care if the Jew drives to the yeshiva faster? He has less traffic? No, you want the $12 on the George Washington bridge. <laughs> you care. Every day goes higher and higher. If you care so much for the people, you make the tolls free. That's to do for the people. You did it for your own stomach. You make trillions and billions. People are struggling to get to work to maybe bring some bread for their children. And every day, another degree and another decree. What? You did it for them? You did it for yourself. You get nothing. And the Gemara continues. So they go out disappointed. So the Gemara, the Gemara asks a question now. This is the point now. Gemara say, the Persians were not foolish people. If they saw that the Romans came and Hashem kicked them out of the window, why they came with the same claim? A smart lawyer, if he had one client, he goes with him to court, he tried to make a claim, the judge say, get out of here. He comes the next day with the same thing, he comes with a different tactics, no? So why they came and say the same exact nonsense? Everything we did, we did for the sake of Israel. Should have come with some kind of a different claim. The answer, the Gemara say, because they were holding, they say maybe Hashem threw the Romans because they destroyed the temple. But we, the Persians, never destroyed the house of God. Maybe we can come with the same claim and he will accept our claim. They, the wicked, they came to Jerusalem, they burned the temple. So he has, he has something personal against them. But we, yeah, we may, what, what, what does he have against us? But it wasn't enough for them. The Gemara continues, the Gemara says, before Hashem gave the Torah to the Jewish nation, he came to all the nations and came to their leader and offered them the Torah. He said, I have the book, a divine book, I want to give it to you. Would you accept it? And they said, let's make a vote. Democracy. Who wants to accept the Torah of the gods who took these Hebrews out of Egypt? Want to be a part of it? 
with, together with the Jewish nation? You also want to? Which means you want to convert or no? That's really the question. So they made a vote. And they said, the majority said no. The minority wanted to convert. But because of the majority, overrule, the messenger, the king said to God, my nation doesn't want. No, they say, what's in it? Tell us a little bit, give us more details. How do you want us to sign that we want something when we don't know exactly what's in it? But they were very foolish. They should have said, of course, you're the creator of the world. What you did in Egypt, we trust you 100%. We don't need to read. Let me sign. We want to do it right away. But they started to ask questions. I said, no problem. Goodbye. All the nations, it was all together 70 nations. Today, you have maybe hundreds of nations. But you know, one nation broke into five, into 10, into 20. Like the Arabs alone, they have more than 20 countries in the world. But it's all one Arab, Ishmael, one minister in heaven. The minister of Ishmael. Doesn't matter Kuwait, Palestinian, Syrian, all of them the same nation. Ishmael pere adam yadov bakol v'yad kolbo. This is it. It can be 200 countries. Tomorrow France is already Arab. France. Belgium is Arab. Everything, all Europe is Arabs. It's a bunch, it's a, it's soon they're going to have 30, 40, 50, 70 countries. Doesn't matter. It's all one nation. They are, you know, so it doesn't really matter. So Hashem offered all the nations, and in the end, they vote against. Why the Gentiles who vote yes have to be deprived? Why they lost? They wanted. Why do they have to suffer? Because a bunch of other fools in their nation didn't want to be Jewish, so now they're going to lose? The answer is nobody ever lost. In their next life, when Hashem took their soul and put it in a new body, when they come again to the world, he gives them an opportunity to see what Judaism is all about and to convert. This is it. Why they have this idea to convert? Why they have attraction to Judaism? Why? It can be sometimes in the same family, a brother and a brother, a sister and a sister, a brother and a sister. One, only just a week ago, a 17 years old girl came here from Italian background, begging to convert. And she lived with two brothers, completely not interested to hear. And her parents, completely not interested to hear. And she, she cannot live another day without it. This is her words. What's going on? You know, so you see that this is a soul that in the previous generation, 3,300 years ago, wanted to accept, but couldn't. And Hashem gave them an opportunity. The Gemara says, in the end, he came to the nation of Israel, and they are the only one who say, yes, we trust you. We'll do it after what you did to us. Of course, we take it. And then they changed their mind. Believe it or not. Look at the evil inclination, how strong. Just a few weeks ago, they saw what Hashem did to the enemies in Egypt. And now they say, yes, Hashem, everything you say, we do, and then one day we understand. We trust you. The next thing, they say, no, it's too hard. Torah Shabbat, oral Torah, we didn't mean. We thought only the written. Torah, too many laws. Right? Hashem, please, for it's, 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 it's misunderstanding. You know? So what happened? Hashem said, too late. The agreement is bind. That's it. Kafa There's an expression. He took the Mount Sinai like a yamaka. You know, you have a bunch of ants. 
You take your yarmulke, you put it on their head, they cannot move. They're there, they're locked. And, t and turn the mountain on their head. It's only an expression. Now that's it, they left them no choice. They left them no choice. The Gemara continue. The Gemara say, Hashem told them, if you accept the Torah, like you said, fine. If not, I don't need you in my world. I'll clean you from the face of the earth. So really, if you really think about it, in the end, they didn't have a choice. This is how embarrassing it is. This is what's beautiful about Judaism. It's all objective knowledge. No, it's not uh, subjective. In Islam, you'll never find one word against Muhammad, ever, by a hint. If you hint something against Muhammad, they'll play with your head tomorrow basketball in Gaza. You understand? They play basketball with your head. Why? Somebody already will take care of you. Did you ever hear something against JC in the Christianity? In one of their books, Mark, John, Matthew, Luke. One comment against JC ever helped? Yes, there is one. Actually. What is it? He cursed the That's not bad in their eyes. They don't say bad about him. There's nothing bad about him. <laughs> they don't see it as bad. The opposite. They say that he had the ability to curse the tree. They want to give. They want to praise him, but in the end, it was very foolish. What kind of son of God cares a tree that God made? It doesn't make sense. But they didn't think about it that way. They thought they're praising him by his word, the fig tree will not have trees anymore. You never find anything better against him. You open Judaism, King David, you hear all the good, you hear all the bad. King Solomon, you hear all the good, you hear all the bad. Every prophet, the good, the bad. Here, the nation of Israel. Why did we have to write in the Torah that the Jews changed their mind and Hashem wanted to kill them? It's a big embarrassment. Get it out of What kind of editor you are? Put it under the Persian rug. Nobody will know. What? The whole nation has to know that Jews are such stiff-necked people? You're embarrassing our fathers. It's divine. It's not in my hand. <laughs> What? I, I, I write whatever I want? What is this, uh, JC and Alibaba and the 70 robbers? What is this? It's Moby Dick. It's the book of God. What, do I have permission to modify it? I take the bad with the good. Why, that's what happened. Believe me, I would be much, much happier to write an ideal story. But the Torah is objective. That's the only religion that you find negative about the children of God, about the leaders, about the prophet, about the kings, about everyone, against Moses. The greatest person in history, all religions recognize him, know him, and the Torah writes five derogatory things against him. He got punished, didn't enter the Holy Land, Hashem got angry at him, he died in the desert. Big embarrassment, stuttering, he could hardly talk. Well, why do you need to write this? Why we need to know that Moshe is stuttering? He's the hero of the story. You don't have to write it. Well, if I'm going to write a story about my grandfather in, in Iraq was the chief of Baghdad, I'm going to write the bad things about my grandfather? Why do I write a biography for? Better not to write. You only hear the good. When it's divine, it's 100%. That's, if a person is smart, if a guy is a little bit clever, right away he should recognize from this alone that that's the only truth. 
No, you don't need more than that. You don't need to find mistakes in the New Testament. It's plenty of mistakes. But before you even get to that step, just that comment alone that the Quran will never have a word against Muhammad or any other book in Islam was ever written in the last 1400 years, never find one comment against him. And if you dare to say something, even a joke. You know Salman Rushdie? Check for him somewhere, hiding already for 20 years under the ground somewhere. Maybe he already changed his identity, who knows. Disappeared. 20 years, nobody saw him walking in the street. Imagine what kind of life. You made one comment against the Quran, and you can never come out of your hole. Did you see where they found Gaddafi? In the sewer. $200 billion, cleaning lices from his beautiful curls. This is what King David wrote in Tehilim. Taking the proud people and bury them in, under the garbage. Same thing Saddam. Saddam, they say only 40 billion. Saddam stole 40 billion. Where they found Saddam in a hole, they clean lices and they check his teeth like the camel with the flashlight. Do you see that? Saddam, open your mouth. In front of the whole world, the camera comes and they check his teeth. Why do they look inside his mouth? I don't know. Why they went like this? Why Hashem made that the American policeman is checking his mouth like a horse? <laughs> what? Why? To humiliate him. To show him this is the end of all the wicked dictators. Like a dog. They check, you know, when you buy a dog, you check him like this, or a horse. This is it. So, the Gemara says, the Gemara continues, the Gemara says like this. Hashem said to the Goyim, and say, before you come and tell me that you kept the Torah, let's talk first about what you had to keep. Did you keep the seven law of Noah? In order for you to be a righteous Gentile, you had to keep the seven laws. Let's see. Did you keep them? Usually you find at least one that they don't keep. One, it's hard for them. So one they don't keep, they already have a problem. Why are you coming to claim credit for the Torah that you learned or didn't learn when you still did not do what you're obligated to do? You know, many of the goyim writes to me and say, make a lecture about the obligation of a goy, what's besides the seven law. Give a lecture only for the Gentiles. All your lectures mainly for Jews. You know, the goyim also benefits. But make a lecture for a Gentile how to be kosher. One of them, she, said, she wrote a very long email and she had a very interesting point. She wrote... Now I'm between heaven and earth, since I found that Christianity is nonsense, and I left the church, I stood on a stage on a church, and I read a, a very long letter, they almost stoned her to death over there, because she grew up in there, you know. She told them it's all nonsense, this, that, and a grandfather that she's one of the founder of the church, he didn't know where to hide himself, the poor guy. So after that, she wrote to me, now what do I do now? She say, to go to a church, I cannot go anymore. To go to the synagogue, I can also not go. To put my children in yeshiva of Jews, they won't accept them, because they're not Jewish, not religious. To put them in a Christian or public school, I cannot do it. Where do I put my children to learn? There's no institution for Gentiles who wants to be righteous and raise their children according to the seven law of Noah. To the best of my knowledge, there's no institution like this. 
The only way maybe is to get educated through computers. That the kids, there are many parents already who don't want to send their children to school because of the violence. So they make them learn with someone over the computer. They sit with headphones and you know, the rabbi or the teacher, they see them on the screen. They see all their faces and they talk and this is how they learn. And they, but she wants them to have friends. So she said, now I, I was thinking maybe I'll send them to the conservative, conservative. But I heard in one of your lectures that conservative is nonsense. It's all a lie. There's no waste of wasting one minute with them, reform and conservative. This is modifying the truth of God. It's a bigger sin than Christianity even. So at least over there, they'll learn Hebrew. They'll be able to read the Torah, to understand something, to be close to God. But if I send them over there, if one day we want to convert, they're going to have a twisted mind from the truth. They think, ah, you can be a Jew and drive to the shul on Shabbat. You can be a Jew, eat milk and dairy and pork. It's not at the end of the world. You can be a rabbit sen with a yarmulke and high heels going up to the Torah like this. You know, you, you can do that. That's how they're going to raise them. The answer is big problem. It's like, a, it's like you're stuck from all over. Yes. If you can convert, you get saved. If not, problem. You have to raise your children and put all your life into raising them in the right way because the school won't do it. The good thing I can tell them to comfort them, unfortunately, that today, it doesn't matter where you go, the school will not do the education job with your children. Whether you're Jewish, not Jewish, it doesn't matter. The days that the teacher used to educate children are over from the world. No teacher have patience to educate someone else's children. They want to come, give their study, read from the books what they learn, teach it to the kids, give them the exam, get paid, and go on a summer vacation. That's what they want, 99% of them. Whether they are Jewish, whether they're not, it doesn't matter anymore. Once in a while, you find from the old generation rabbis that will give their heart for the kids, even if they don't get paid 10 months salary. The yeshiva is broke, they come every day with love to teach and they do everything for the children. This kind is really, really disappearing from the world. Disappearing. So, so you have to educate your children. In school, they only learn math, English, Torah, Gemara, Shulchan Aruch, a little bit, halachot, that's it. How to be human being, how to behave, how to, you know, manners, you're going to have to do the job. When to wake up in the morning, how to pray, the father and the mother, they are the only one who can teach their children. Why? Because that's the way the world is anymore. That's it. So the problem she has, we kind of, we kind of having the same problem. Maybe a little bit less, but it's the same thing. So time is running out. And uh, the Gemara says like this. The Gemara says like this. No, now this is a very interesting Gemara, which I like to bring it up by speaking to Jews about the relation between the Jewish nation to the non-Jewish people in the world. There is some kind of primitive ideas and primitive learning in the Jewish community 
that somehow was transferred from generation to generation from, and that the generation today got the wrong concept, the wrong idea about the relationship between Israel to the non-Jewish people in the world. Some religious Jew think that is a mitzvah. The Torah said that the Jews must separate from all the nations in the world. They must separate. They don't have permission to marry them, even if it's the nicest Gentile in the world. It could be a prophet. It can be Eov, the prophet. He cannot marry any Jewish girl. Even the worst Jewish girl cannot marry the best Gentile in the world. Nothing to do with who is a good person, who is not rich, poor, smart, foolish. Doesn't matter. Hashem separate the Jewish nation from all the nation. It's a fact. There's nothing we can do about it. Nothing we can do about it. And many times a Jew meet a wonderful uh, non-Jewish girl. Wonderful. Really would be a great woman for him. She, she elevates him. She pushes him to learn Torah. Everything you want. He's not allowed to marry her. There's nothing he can do. No rabbi in the world can allow it. No one has permission to go against one verse in the Torah, especially when it appears four or five times in the Torah. So that's end of story. It's not open to any argument. However, the restriction of not getting married with any one of the nations is one issue. And the relationship between the Jewish people and the Gentiles is a completely different issue. Many Jews are mistaken by thinking, since God told us that we're not allowed to marry any other Gentile in the world, that automatically we have to either do not love them, disrespect them, think that they are not as good as us. This is a big mistake. When the Gemara speaks against the Gentiles, the Gemara always called them idols worshippers, akum. The Gemara doesn't say anywhere that you have to chas v'shalom, hate a goy or something like this. The opposite. Now I'm going to tell you what the Gemara say about the, the goyim. The Gemara only say that, that the people who worship idols are despicable and traitors against God. That's why we have to do anything against them. Why? Because they are the enemies of God. Even if they are Jewish. Nothing to do, Jew or non-Jew. Any idol worshiper, even if he worship his rabbi, this is people who deserve the worst treatment until they go back from their nonsense. No matter how nice they are. He worship an idol in any way. He's the most despicable person on earth, Jew or non-Jew. Now, if it's a righteous Gentile, is not an anti-Semite, doesn't hate Jews, doesn't do any action against Jews, he believes in one God, he loves God, he talks to God, he doesn't steal, doesn't murder, doesn't rape, you know, he's a nice person, he has manners. Not only are you not allowed to hate him, you must love him. You must love him. This is the obligation to the Jews by God. Rabbi Chaim Vital, the student of the Ariya Kadosh, that thanks to him we know the entire Kabbalah, without him we we'll know anything. He writes, mitzvah to love the goy. Clearly. No, it's not open to comments. Clearly, this is what he wrote. But we don't need him. He was only 500 years ago. Let's go to the original source. The Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zara, the chapter of idol worshipping. This is the name of this chapter. Rabbi Meir says, Rabbi Meir is one of the biggest Tanaim in history. How do we know that a guy that sits and learns Torah is like a Kohen Gadol? You know what Kohen Gadol is? 
Kohen Gadol is the most important Jew in the entire generation, that he is the only one who has permission to enter Kodesh HaKodashim, the Holy of Holies, inside the temple. No other Jew can enter. And he is the one who carried the most important prey on Yom Kippur in front of God, and some Ahmed, or Mustafa, or Chris, or Bruce Lee, or whatever the name may be, that sits and learns Torah and loves God, non-Jew. The Gemara compares him to Kohen Gadol. But which Torah? Not all Torah goyim are allowed to learn. General Torah, they're allowed to learn. Specific Torah to the nation of Israel, not only they're not allowed to learn, they get severely punished for learning. They're not allowed. The laws of Shabbat, the laws of things that between only applies to Jewish women. It's not for them. But the creation of the world, every guy can learn. The way God operates, the history part of the Torah, they can learn, no problem. Manners, Pirkei Avot, they can learn. Well, they also have to be polite. They also have to know how to behave. They're allowed to learn. Only unique, specific laws to the Jewish nation, they're not allowed to learn. But anything that connects to the seven law of Noah, you should not kill, you should not worship idol, you believe in the court, you make yourself a court system, etc. Every one of these laws, they can find the answers in the Torah, and it's mitzvah for them to learn. The Gemara continue. The Gemara says, how do we know that the Gentiles also can get to a very higher level? This is the mitzvot asher yaseh otam a'adam v'chai ba'em. This is the mitzvot that a person would do, not a Jew, that a person would do and will get life for it. Every time the Torah or the Gemara speak about life, is life of eternity. Remember this rule. I said it many times in the lectures. The Torah does not call life here like a dog 20, 30 years life. That's nothing. It's a temporary blink of the eye. Life is always life of eternity, life of the soul, which is a divine, eternal soul. Life of 20, 30, 40, 70 years that a person from the moment he's born, he begins to die, doesn't consider life. Bichlal. Don't ever think, oh, you, you run and you talk and you eat and you dance and you drive a nice car, so you call it life. No, the dogs also have it. Everyone has it. What, what benefit is this? What reward is that? No. So. Uh, Thanks to this mitzvot, these good commandments, he should live. Speaking also about the goyim. No. The Gemara say, it wasn't say Kohen. It wasn't say Levi. It wasn't say Israelites. It say a human being, which means everyone. Human being. From here we learn that even a goy that is busy with learning Torah is like a Kohen Gadol. But, but, the reward that he gets for learning Torah is not like the reward of a Jew, because a Jew is obligated to learn Torah and he has a strong resistance. The evil inclination doesn't let him learn. He comes to a lecture after five minutes, he looks at his watch. If he comes to the lecture, already, wow, finally came. Or he falls asleep, or he checks his text messages. It's a good place in the middle of the lecture to check that AT&T send you five commercials, uh, you know, and the, and the other, the electric company. <laughs> it's a very good point. So, but the guy, no. 
He is interested. Wow, beautiful, nice. Why? Because he doesn't have so much resistance. Because he's not obligated. Also, a Jewish woman, it's easier for her to learn Torah than a man. Less interference, less problems. The Gemara say, we know someone who's obligated in doing is greater than someone who is not obligated. The Gemara continues, the Gemara says like this. Hashem said when, the, when he created the world, if my Jewish children, the nation of Israel, will accept the Torah, it's good. If not, I'm returning the world to the beginning point when he was tovavo. You know what tovavo? Complete mess. Everything is mixed in the water until Hashem started to separate everything. The first moment of the creation. Amar Chizkiya, it says like this. Mai dichtiv mishamayim ishmati din eretz yarea v'shaketa. From heaven I announce my judgment and the land was fearing and get quiet. What's, what's the connection? What's going on? The Gemara asks, if fear, why peaceful? If peaceful, why fear? It doesn't go together. The Gemara say, in the beginning, fear, and then peaceful. Hashem say like this, Nimrod, the enemy of Abraham, will be forced to testify that Abraham kept the whole Torah, as much as he hated, but he's going to be forced to testify. The Gentiles will testify that the Jews are the only one who really learned the Torah. Whether they like it or not, they won't have a choice. Lavan will testify about his son-in-law that he hated so much, Yaakov, that he never stole. He was more, more than honest. He deserved to take, but he still didn't do it. The wife of Potiphar will testify that Yosef never made even one time a sex crime, even though she did everything she can to tempt him, and he never failed. Nebuchadnezzar will testify about Hananiah, Mishael, Vazariah, that no matter what he did to make them bow down to the idol, they did not, and he threw them into the fire, and they came out alive. But he will testify that they are the perfect righteous people. Daryavesh the king of Persia, they call it Dariush, Dariavesh, same letters, will testify that Daniel never canceled even one time the pray to Hashem. No matter how much hard times they gave him, he still never stopped one time the praise to Hashem. Beldad Ashuchi, Tsofar Naamati, Eliphaz Atemani, Eliyuhu ben Brachel Habuzi, who are they? Legendary goyim, prophets goyim. How many goyim were in history? Do you know? How many, go, how many, how many prophets the Jewish nation had? Forty-eight, and seven ladies, seven Miriam, Dvora. They are the the lady females, which were prophets. And how many goyim? Seven goyim, Yov. Elihu ben Brachel Abuzi, Eliphaz Atemani, Bilam, Tsofar Naamati, Beldad Ashuchi. This is all legendary goyim. The difference between them and, uh, and Bilam, Bilam was very wicked. They are not wicked. They will come to testify that the nation of Israel follow all the commandments of the Torah. 
They say, Ribono shel olam, give us also a chance to keep the Torah. They will say in the name of the Goim. And Hashem say, someone who prepared for Shabbat will eat on Shabbat. Someone who did not prepare for Shabbat will not eat on Shabbat. So some Israelis in kindergarten, they think that Hashem decided today to teach us that if the mother made chulent in a pot on Friday, she put potato, eggs, meat, some water, whatever, so the family will eat on Shabbat and fresh and enjoy the Shabbat. Very nice. For this, we need Torah. <laughs> Even the mouse knows it. You prefer something for tomorrow, you have what to eat. You don't prepare, you don't have what to eat. The goyim need such a lesson, they don't know it, of course. What's the secret here? The answer is, this world is 6,000 years. 1,000 years for every day of the creation. Hashem created the world in six days. First day, 1,000 years. Second day, 1,000 years. What year we are, according to the Jewish calendar? 5,000. 772? Two. So we are 22 years in the last part of the world. 5,750 from the, the 6,000. That means 23 out of 24 parts are behind us. Each part is 250 years, right? Every 1,000 years is four times 250. It's four parts. Second thousand, eight parts. Third thousand, twelve parts. Four thousand, sixteen parts. Fifth thousand, twenty parts. Yeah, so I'm sorry, the fifth thousand, twenty parts. The sixth thousand, twenty-four parts. Minus the 250 years. So 23 are behind us, but we are 22 years in the last quarter of Friday. Sunday is gone. It's a thousand years. Monday is gone. It's a thousand years. Tuesday it's a thousand. Wednesday is a thousand. Thursday it's a thousand. Three quarter of Fridays behind us. Twenty four hours. Eighteen hours are gone. See, the last six hours is preparation for Shabbat. We are twenty two years in it. Calculate. Any minute Shabbat is starting. Mashiach come. The world comes to correction. This is what Hashem told them. Someone who prepared in Erev Shabbat, before Shabbat, before Mashiach come, will enjoy these days. You, what did you prepare? You prepare nothing. You don't eat on Shabbat. But remember, this is only those who are not fulfilling their mission. The righteous Gentile will see Mashiach. It looks, it sounds like absurd that many of our friends and cousins will not see Mashiach because they're not Shomer Shabbat. And many goyim, some kind of a Mustafa or Ahmed or Chris or whatever, will come and say, listen, I kept the seven law. I listened to the lecture. I sent CDs to make, uh, to make Jews religious. I pray to Hashem every day. Why, why? Of course he's going to see Mashiach. What's the question? Why Hashem is a racist? He goes against his own uh, creation? Of course not. You did what I told you, come get what you deserve. But these kind of Gentiles will reach such level of understanding that they're going to be honored to serve the nation of Israel in days of Mashiach. 
It's going to be, you know, there's a whole, I, actually, uh, I, I, last Thursday I made a, a lecture about the Mashiach on the resurrection of the dead. Exactly what's going to be in the days of Mashiach and the, the dead will come back, the righteous Jewish dead from previous generation will return back to life. We had a little delay, so Bezrat Hashem by tomorrow maybe it will go up on the website with all the power outage and all that, so it's only going to go out tomorrow. And this is, over there I explain what Jews will see, what Jews will not see, what Goim will see, what Goim will not see. And we, we, we will be able to, you will be able to get a clear uh, uh, picture about it. I really don't have that much time left, much less than five minutes, so let me finish this page. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says like this, what is it that it says in the Torah, why the Torah need the word ayom? That I'm ordering you today to do. If he didn't say today, we don't understand. Remember, Hashem doesn't write an extra word in the Torah. He could have write, but I'm ordering you to do. Of course it's today. When do we speak? Now. Right? If you want to tell your son, uh, Yaakov, go take the garbage out of the street, uh, and, you want it, and, you, and you tell him, do it today. So why are you telling me today? I understand. You tell me, take the garbage. I understand. I got to tell you. It's extra work. So the answer is, Ayom le'asotam, today to do it, machar lekabel etzcharam, and the next world to receive the reward. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever think that all the greatness that God gave you from the day you're born until now, it's a reward for your mitzvot? Do you think that that's a reward for your mitzvot? Oh, it's nothing to do with your mitzvot. What do you think? Does God pay you? You have a nice car. Is this because you great, greatly keep Shabbos? You know how many people who keep Shabbos don't even have a bicycle? Okay, many Jews put great feeling on, poor. Some put barely kosher tefillin, rich. So is the reward here? Of course not. What is it like? I saw a great example this week. A cardiologist in Israel, in a hospital, every day he saves five lives. Person has a heart attack. Right away they bring him to the emergency room. He take the sword, open the chest, this, that, bypass. Shots, oxygen, in the end, three hours the doctor sweat. He works very hard. It's a lot of concentration. It's very hard work. Standing, you know, connecting the veins, this. In the end, he saved five people from dead. Right? How much he makes an hour in Israel? 20 shekel an hour. Five and a half dollars. Amigo in the supermarket here make double. It's not a cardiologist. In Mexico, he didn't even go to elementary school. Yeah, he was in a gang in the street. His father said, listen, Jose, mucho problemas. Anda, anda, America. No more problema. Mucho dinero, America. Very good. So Jose, he gets on a bus, go to LA, ended up in New York making 10 bucks in a supermarket. Yosef, the cardiologist, Dr. Leibovich, 20 shekel in the hospital an hour. That's what he made. Maybe I exaggerate, 30 shekels, seven and a half dollars. Anybody ever think that that's going to be his reward for saving five lives every day? 
If a doctor that saved life of a person that is 75 years old, two months later he died anyway. <laughs> but he deserves a huge reward, right? A person that made you close to Hashem, religious, he cure you for eternity. You want him to receive the reward in this world? Even the doctor cannot receive his reward here. If you have to give him for every life he saved, you have to give him millions of dollars. The hospital will be bankrupt in the first day in business. How much really the doctors deserve? Think about it. If the, doc if the only cardiologist in the world was one only, he's the only one who knows how to do it. He comes to the hospital and says, I'm very sorry. Every operation, one million dollars in cash. No checks, no taxes, nothing. Cash in a suitcase. They have no choice. But they go bankrupt. So only the rich people get saved, that's it. But they have not, well, there's nothing you can do. What are you going to do? So everyone who has a heart condition would rob a bank. The only way to live. But everybody understands. So this is it. Today to do, but only the reward is in the afterlife. But some crumbs of the cookies Hashem gives you in this life. So if you be righteous, yes, you can become wealthy, thanks to that. But don't ever think that this is your real reward. It's an embarrassment to think that if you had half a million dollars and now you have a million, oh, Baruch Hashem, Hashem, seven years I was keeping mitzvot, now I can buy another bathroom in Queens. The prices of the houses or whatever. That's not the reward. Don't ever make that mistake. What are we saying every day? Your mom yetzave Adonai chazdov alayla shiro imi. Right? Amarish lakish. Your mom yetzave Hashem chazdo. Every day Hashem is ordering his kindness, sending his kindness to the people. And at night, shiro imi, his song, his musical, spiritual music is with me. What's the meaning of this verse? Rish this pasuk, this verse is teaching us that the level of learning Torah at night when the whole world is sleeping is much greater than learning during the day. If a person stay all night and learn and then rest during the day, it's a higher level than someone who learns during the day. If you're married, you have children, it's not so realistic. But especially for the single ones who come to yeshiva, if there is a way to be up all night and then rest a little bit in the day, fine. Someone who learns Torah at night, there is a string of kindness go directly on his head from heaven right to him directly. Special pipe of kindness that in everything he touches, you see Siata Dishmaya, everyone recognizes Hashem loved this person. There's no question here. It's an order. Why Hashem In a day Hashem sends his kindness. Why? Because at night, Shiro imi. Shiro in the Torah means the Torah. Write to you this song. Hashem called his Torah a song from A to Z. 304,000 letters, 805. It's all one beautiful song. So Hashem said, write to you the, the words of this singing. This is somebody who is busy with the song of Hashem at night. 
a string of chesed is on his head during the days. Rabbi Hanina, Sgan HaKohanim said, when you live in the exile, pray for the safety of the government. Pray like the Ashkenazim, the modern Orthodox, some of them, not all of them, they have a special prayer when they take out the Torah. God bless President Obama, President uh, whatever, Clinton, Hillary, and this, and uh, Levinsky, and the whole family. You know why it's so important? Because, yeah, maybe they're not religious enough. Maybe they're not doing enough for Israel. Maybe some of them even racist and anti-Semite. History showed us what happened. Well, one thing never take for granted, and this is the last thing for tonight. One thing never take for granted. If you dismiss the power of this government for one hour, the people on earth will eat each other alive. Which means, if Obama comes on the news now, the government is bankrupt, I lost control, there's no police, no army, whatever you can grab, grab. Goodbye. CNN, they put a, an X on the screen, technical problem, nobody knows what happened now in America. What will happen five minutes from now? Hey, where is my boss? Uh, 911, uh, I mean 411, uh, information. Where Mr. X living? Well, what do you need him for? I'm going to shoot him. He fired me yesterday. Now it's an opportunity, there's no police. Your ex-wife with all her brothers is on the way to burn you alive. <laughs> Your children, you didn't give them enough money in the wheel. Ooh, ah. Now it's time of revenge. Everyone, your teacher from high school have a nightmare since you quit school. <laughs> he comes to look for you, maybe he can clean you from the face of the earth. Everyone you have a problem with are looking for you. Within one hour, from 300 million in the United States, if 30 million will stay, it will be a great thing. In the meantime, the stock market will collapse, all the store will be burning, riots, all the people with big crates coming out of the supermarkets, Plasma TVs, laptops, one grabbing from another, people killing each other on the street. There's no police. Definitely nobody will drive 55 on the highway. <laughs> That's for sure. Even the good people who doesn't think to murder, at least they'll drive 75. That's why the Gemara say, if there will not be authorities, in one hour everything is gone. People are afraid of the authorities, not of Hashem. That's why you can walk in the street. And sometimes even the authorities don't help. Thank you very much.